Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Now time to open up your Bibles. Um, we're going to be reading God's Word, um, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 12, and then skipping on to 2 Corinthians 9 to 6, chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. There are Bibles in the aisles um, that look like this. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to make use of them. And if you don't have a Bible at all, it'd be our gift to you. Please feel free to, please feel free to take one. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond that, for the privilege of sharing Sorry. Uh, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently uh, pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich." And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then we shift over to... 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written... They have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you, Jerome. Today is week five in our vision series. And if you're visiting today, every February, uh, for a number of weeks, we do some weeks on some of the things that are most important to us as a church. And so this year, our first week, uh, for the first time in our history, we did a theme for the year. And so in week one of the vision series, we launched that theme. And it's a theme compelled from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that the, the love of Christ compels us. And so everything we do for the Lord is compelled by the love of Christ that has been poured into our hearts. Week two, we focused on prayer, and that launched us into 40 days of prayer and fasting. And just this Monday gone, we had a prayer and worship night, and we had 70 people come to pray and to worship God, and that was so encouraging. And we believe a really powerful time to seek the Lord's face on all that He's doing in our lives, but also in the lives of our local community and beyond. In week three, we talked about mission and fellowship that we're compelled to go and to grow. And so that was week three. And then last week, Ray preached a great message on serving, compelled to serve. Today is the last week of our vision series, and the title of the message today is Compelled to Generosity. We're talking about generosity today. Now, when you talk about generosity, um, what could possibly go wrong? I think this is a topic that some people love talking about, and some people find it highly confronting. And if you find it highly confronting today, then I'm glad. Because I want to challenge you today. I think we need to be people who are uncomfortable. And I want to challenge you today in the area of generosity in your life because I believe generosity is something that could save your life. Many people live their entire lives in a prison cell. And the prison cell, maybe you're one of them. The prison cell is what I call materialism. And they hold onto the bars and they're constantly looking outside the bars thinking the next thing is going to set me free. The next thing's going to bring the joy that I've been looking for. If I can just get the next iPhone, if I can just get that new shiny car with the airbags that don't explode, (laughs) if I can just get that next thing, then I'm finally going to be happy. And so inside the prison cell, they start to save their pennies, fixated on that next thing that's finally going to meet their needs, holding onto the bars, looking out, thinking, I've almost got it, and they finally get to the day where they get that next thing. They get the new iPhone. They get the shiny car. And for a couple of weeks, it's wonderful until the novelty of the new iPhone wears off and the new car smell disappears. And to their horror and surprise, they realize they're still trapped inside the same cell, looking at things of this world for the joy that only Christ can bring. But so often people in our world who don't follow Christ, they stay their whole lives in that prison cell. And so that thing doesn't do it. So they turn around and they look outside the other side of the prison, hold onto the bars and think the next thing's going to get me out of here. If I can just get that promotion, if I can just get a house, if I can just pay off a mortgage, then finally I'll be happy. And they go tick, 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 and once again they find they're still in the prison cell. And so they think, well, I'll get the next thing. If I can just make a million dollars, if I can just be wealthy, and make that million dollars, I'll finally find that fulfillment. They make a million. A million's not enough, so they make two. And that's not enough, and so they make five. And they get all the money they could possibly imagine, and yet they still find that it hasn't scratched the itch they're trying to itch. And so they turn around, they look out the other side of the cell, and they go to the next idol. The next idol is retirement. When I get to 60 or 70 or 80 these days, and when I get there, 
Finally, I'm going to have everything. All my debts will be paid off. If I just have enough money to be able to travel the world, to get more stuff, to be comfortable, just to, to sit in retirement, never have to work a day again, finally, I will be free. And yet they get to retirement. They're still not happy. They're still miserable. They still feel that itch that has not been scratched. And many people get to the end of their life and they're still holding those bells, those, those bars, and as they take their last breath, they wonder why they couldn't do more with their lives. What a tragedy that is. A number of years ago, my parents had some friends, a married couple. They were a very wealthy couple. This guy was a wealthy man. He was a family man. He lived in the most ritzy part of Templestone. He had a mansion that was 60 squares plus. And he lived there with his family. Both his husband and wife drove the, the latest, most luxurious cars they could get. They had millions of dollars in the bank. They could travel any time they want. They could do anything they want. And you look at them and they go, wow, they've got everything they could ever want to be happy. And the world tells us, doesn't it? If you have this, you have that, you have this, you have that, money, success, fame, all those things. If you have those things, it's going to make you happy. It's going to make you fulfilled. And yet one day... This man said to my dad, he, he was such a rich man that he bought other relatives from overseas and he was funding their lives as well and they were all living in very wealthy, kind of opulent kind of lifestyle. But one day he said to my dad, you know what, I've given my family everything but it's never enough. They spend their whole lives squabbling over more stuff and over more money. This guy had everything. The world tells you, you need to be a success. And yet a couple of years later, they found him hanging from a tree in a public park on Father's Day. What a tragedy. Looking for that God-shaped hole to be filled by the things of this world. Many people live their entire lives trapped in the prison of materialism, but God has provided a way for you and me to break free from that prison, and the way to break free is generosity. Generosity could save your life from being something that's wasted on temporary things to instead be something that is given to eternal things for the glory of God. The only life that will truly bring you the joy and the fulfillment that you are looking for. If you're a note taker today, I'd love you to write this down. Generosity is a gift from God and it's the key that breaks you free from the prison of materialism. Let me say that again. Generosity is a gift from God, and it's the key that breaks you free from the prison of materialism. Generosity will set you free to live your life for God. And so I pray that none of us would get to the end of our life and think that I have got everything, I've done all the stuff I've wanted to do, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. If you live a life of generosity... It will set you free from that prison because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Some of these people spend their whole life trying to receive more and more and more and more and Jesus said the answer is give. You give, it's more blessed than it is to receive. At Follow, we've always had a very clear vision. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not to be famous. Our vision is Jesus, one word. Jesus is the one we look to. He's the one we learn from. He's the one that we live for. And our mission, we want it to make really simple as well. Um, a lot of people have mission statements that are 10 pages long and no one ever remembers them. And so we wanted our mission statement to be so simple that you'd never forget it. Two weeks ago, we found out that hasn't really worked. But there are some people in our church that have been very diligent in learning our mission statement. Hannah Granger, what is our mission statement? <laughs> 
Don't look up there. Well done. Let's give a round of applause. It's up there every week. Our vision is Jesus. Our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. So if you don't know it, look up to that. And then once you've looked up to that, look up further to the Lord and say, Lord, help us to be these people. That our vision would remain you. That our mission would be to follow you in our community here and outside of these walls for your glory. It's a very simple mission that we're on. If you look at our website, you'll see our vision and our mission. And underneath that, in the About Us section, you'll see our five core focuses as a church. And they are, in no particular order, Bible teaching and training, discipleship and leadership development, including prayer, fellowship, mission. And we hear those first four and we go, yep, 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 yep. That all makes sense in a church. But the last one, number five, is generosity. I remember someone said to me once, why on earth would you make generosity one of the five key focuses of your church? And I said, well, the simple truth is this, that generosity is the gospel. The gospel is the greatest story of immense generosity the world has ever seen. For God so loved the world that he sat around thinking nice thoughts about you. Aren't you glad that God didn't just stop at nice thoughts? For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? His one and only son, his most prized possession, the person who was most precious to him. He loved you and he loved me so much that he gave his one and only son. That is extravagant generosity. That is incredible giving. You see, generosity is expressed in self-sacrificial giving. Jesus came from the glory of heaven and he lived amongst us ultimately to die for us that whoever believes and puts their faith in him will not perish but will have eternal life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's sacrifice. Man, that is generosity that he'd do that for us. We didn't deserve it. We weren't looking for it. We could never earn it. And Jesus, while we were still sinners, he died for us. In today's passage in verse 9, it says, For you know the grace, the undeserved love of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, everything he could ever imagine, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, death on a cross, may become rich in salvation. The gospel is saturated in mind-blowing, unbelievable, life-changing generosity. And so next time we start to grumble about having to sacrifice for the Lord, I encourage you, fix your eyes on the cross. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And then reflect on his words that says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me daily. That's what it is, to live a life of generosity. As we're reminded of that, the sacrifices we're making will all of a sudden become a joy as we're reminded that we are following in the footsteps of our Saviour. This week on Facebook, I saw a life hack. If you don't know what a life hack is, it's a little bit of advice that if you apply it to your life, it's meant to make your life better. And the little bit of advice I thought was very helpful. It said this life hack was to just change one sentence in your vocabulary. And it's to change the sentence that I have to to instead be the sentence that I get to. 
I have to take my kids to school every, every morning. I get to take my kids to school every morning. I have to go to work. Man, I get to go to work. I have to come to church. None of you would ever say that because it's awesome here. Great preaching. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> when Ray preaches, it's pretty good. I have to come to church. No, no, I get to come to church and worship the Lord with his people to bring glory and honour to his name, to grow in my faith. I get to come to church everywhere. I don't live in a country where I'm persecuted. I could be killed if I'm found in church. No, I get to come to church. Gets me up on Sunday morning when I think, oh, now I'll sleep in. No, no, I get to come. This is a privilege to be here this morning. I get to serve. I, I have to serve on the food van roster this Thursday night. No, I get to serve on the food van roster this week and to be in the community, to share the love of Christ with people who don't know. I get to do that. And for us as Christians, we often think, well, we're a Christian, so we kind of have to be generous. I'd encourage you to see it differently. We get to be generous. With everything God has blessed us with, we get to share that with the world around us. That one sentence, that mindset shift could radically change your life. Generosity can be shown in many different ways as we live out the gospel uh, in community. I think most people are okay to talk about generosity when it comes to things like giving time and energy and effort and serving. But when it comes to money, so often talking about generosity is kind of like a no-go zone. People leave churches over that. We're not going to talk about money. I grew up in a Baptist church. And we very rarely talked about money. We only ever spoke about money when we were behind on budget. I then spent 10 years at a Pentecostal church, and at times it felt like that's all we ever talked about. Money, 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 money. And then more money. And it was a massive turnoff. It's one of the great accusations against the church, isn't it? The church just wants your money. Well, at Follow, we don't talk about money very much. Not a lot at all. In fact, I got an email just recently um, letting me know, you were suggesting I don't talk about it enough. And I think that's actually probably right because I probably overcompensated from my past experience and the pendulum swung too much. And perhaps I don't talk about it enough because I know there was an incredible leader who once dwelt amongst us on earth. His name was Jesus and he spoke about money a lot. And perhaps he spoke about money a lot because he knows if there's one thing in our life that can grab our attention, and even worse than that, our affection away from God, it's going to be our money. Jesus says these words. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Generosity is so much more than just financial giving, sharing our love with people our attitude towards serving, the way we use our words and our time are all expressions of generosity. Generosity is not simply what we do, but as Christians, it should be who we are. Generosity just flows from our lives as Jesus generously pours into our hearts, it pours out of our hearts to other people. Follow Baptist, I think, has been an incredibly generous church. It's full of generous people. And I, I really believe that the way we've loved and served our community has opened up many opportunities to share the gospel that would never have existed if we were a stingy church. And so I want to commend you this morning for your generosity in so many ways. We look at the pledge up on the screen and we see you serving every week at a food van, a breakfast club, in different areas of your life. 
And this is a very generous church. And the book of Proverbs says the gift opens up the way for the giver. As you guys have given the gift of generosity to our community, God has opened up ways for us to have more gospel impact than we would have imagined two years ago. And so generosity is more than just money. But I want to encourage you today that generosity also includes our finance. In Vision Month, we've been in the letter of 2 Corinthians, and today we continue in this letter, and we get to one of the most well-known passages in Scripture on the topic of generosity, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And Paul is speaking to a church who are generous in nearly every area of their life. If we look at verse 7 of chapter 8, he says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I wonder today, can you honestly say before God this morning that you and your family are people who excel, not just do the bare minimum, but excel in the area of giving? Because this is what Paul is encouraging this church to be. I'll give you some context on this letter. Paul, and, uh, a year earlier, as Jerome mentioned before, I was cringing as he was doing the offering talk because I think he's going to actually preach my whole sermon. Um, <laughs> but he said a year earlier, Paul had encouraged uh, the Gentile churches to give or to take up a generous offering that would help the poor Jewish believers in Judea who had been hit hard by famine. And so Paul had started receiving uh, the giving coming in. And originally, this church he's writing the letter to at Corinth was the first to jump on board. They were the first to get involved. It says they were the first, but they also wanted to be involved in this offering. They immediately responded with generosity. And they had started the process of giving to meet some of these needs. But by the time Paul wrote the second letter, the spiritual temperature of the church in Corinth had kind of gone cold. The church has been wavering in their commitment to the gospel. They've been criticizing and doubting Paul's leadership. And their passion for the Lord is kind of on the wane. Not that wane, different wane. <laughs> but with that waning passion, their eagerness for generosity had also faded. So when we look at verse 10 of um, chapter 8, Paul is kind of concluding his argument. And this is how he summarizes to the people at Corinth. He says, here is my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Verse 11, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Their generosity had previously been an example to all the other churches in the region. But now that seems to have all evaporated. Paul is challenging this church once again. He's trying to rekindle their passion for the Lord first and foremost, but then their heart for generosity, and he does it by comparing where they're at to these other churches in Macedonia. And he's basically saying, guys, this is where you're at. Your passion's waned. Your generosity's disappeared. But I want to point out the example of these churches in Macedonia because if you look to them, you will see their giving is extraordinary. It's abundant. It's generous. And so look to them and learn. And so as I read the passages this week, there was a million things I learned, but I'm going to focus in on three things for time's sake today. And the first thing I want to share today is this, that generosity isn't dependent on how much we have because generosity is who we are. In other words, you don't have to wait until you're wealthy for you to be generous. In fact, if you don't practice generosity when you have little, 
You'll never practice generosity when you have lots. When it comes to the best time to start being generous, well, then today is that time. For us as Christians, today is the time to be generous. I know people in this church that have lots, and they are abundantly generous with what they have. I know people in this church that have very little, and yet their obedience and their generosity is extraordinary based on the fact that they have very little to give. They are incredibly generous people because generosity isn't dependent on how much we have. Generosity is who we are. And I think this passage makes that really clear. If we look at verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They weren't pressured to do it. They wanted to do it. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. I want you to notice that these churches in Macedonia are not made up of wealthy people. They're not people who are loaded and they're just giving a little bit of cream off the top to the Lord, whatever's left over. No, these people had virtually nothing. They're not giving from excess. They're giving from lack. Severe trial. Extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, and they did it with overflowing joy. That is incredible, exceptional generosity. They're not giving from excess, but being generous even in lack. And it reminds me of the story of the widow in the temple. Thank you, Jerome. (laughs) And you can imagine, can't you? It says Jesus looked up, and he saw all these wealthy people walking over to the treasury, and I can kind of imagine them. They've got a handful of cash. They're probably flashing it a little bit, so make sure everyone sees it. And they walk over to the treasury bucket, and they plonk it in. You can hear the thud go thud as their offering goes in, and then kind of walk away going, look at me. And Jesus looks at all these wealthy people doing that, and they're giving a lot of money. But, but after that, this, this little widow woman, this poor widow woman, I imagine her kind of hobbling over. She's got two copper coins, and I can imagine her dropping in the same bucket and they rattle around those two coins. Maybe people scoffed and thought, oh, she's giving virtually nothing. And yet Jesus looks at this woman and she make, he makes an example of her as someone who is radically generous. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had to live on. So I was pondering her life. As I was pondering these churches in Macedonia throughout the week, I thought to myself, how on earth can these people be so generous when they have so little? And it occurred to me that the only way that's possible to give like this is when you understand where you got what you have in the first place. You know, there's a lot of people who claim to be self-made. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made person. I'm a self-made woman. I've, I've, I've earned all my stuff and I've made my way in life. And I want to tell you this morning that that person doesn't exist. They are in the same basket with the Yeti, the Bigfoot, the big red guy at Christmas, the Hopper at Easter, 
the pink lady in the dress who hovers around Collingwood supporters when their teeth fall out, <laughs> all who have names that I don't want to mention in case there are kids here today or listening on the podcast, but what I want to say today is the self-made person exists in the same category as all of those other fictional characters. They do not exist. Now, you might think to yourself, hang on a second. Maybe you're here today or you're listening to the podcast. You think, hang on a second. I have worked diligently. I have built my business. I've done the hard yards. I've been clever. I've invested wisely. I've earned everything I've made. And I'd say, great. Well done for using what God has given you. But I'd ask some questions of you. The questions are this. Who gave you the gifts and abilities you have? Who formed you in your mother's womb? Who gave you your health and your strength, your intellect, your intelligence? Who is generous enough to give you those things? Who are you dependent on for your very next breath? Do you know the very next breath God could say, that's it. That's how self-sufficient we are. None of us are self-made. Everything we have has come from God. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. James chapter 1, verse 16. The thing that holds our generosity back more than anything else is that we forget where everything comes from in the first place. Generosity is not dependent on what we have. And when we remember that everything we have has been graciously given to us by God, it helps us not to be tight-fisted, but instead open-handed with everything he has graciously provided in our lives. Generosity is not dependent on what we have because generosity is who we are. The second thing I learned is that when we're generous, God provides. Look at chapter 9, verse 6. It starts with these words. Remember this. What should you do when someone says, remember this? Okay, you're slow learners. Remember this. (laughs) Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I think we often think that we'll be generous when we have more. But when we wait to earn more before we give generously, we're communicating that we just don't trust that God will provide. The same God who says, I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Same God who says, I have the cattle on a thousand hills. The same God who says, my arm is not too short. The same God who says, I will provide for your needs. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll take care of all your needs. That same God, we go, yeah, 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 but I need more before I can give more. I need to become more self-sufficient before I can become more God-dependent. 
I need to become more self-sufficient before I can even be obedient, let alone generous. I remember when I first went into full-time ministry, I accepted the position on the pastoral team of that particular church before I knew what the income would be. Bad move. And so I stepped out from a career as a carpenter where I made fairly good money and had the potential to make a lot more. And I stepped into full-time ministry not knowing what I would be paid. At the time, I had a wife. I still do. (laughs) Thankfully, the same one. I had three kids. I now have four. I have a mortgage. I still have that. There were bills to pay, and we live week to week. And so you can imagine the shock when, after accepting the position, we found out that my wage was going to be just over $30,000 a year. I remember having a conversation with Kim and we were talking about how we could possibly make this work. How are we going to make ends meet? There's one thing that we didn't want to change and that was our tithing. If you're not sure what tithing is, if you're new to Christianity or new to this church, tithing is the first 10% of everything we have. It's a biblical principle that Jesus reaffirms in the New Testament and it's the 100% that God graciously provides for us. He says the first 10% is to be set aside to be brought into the church for the use of the extension of God's kingdom. So it belongs to the Lord. That's what tithing is. And so tithing, when you tithe, that's not generosity. That's obedience. But when you step beyond a tithe, more than your 10%, and you give to the poor or to a building fund or to whatever, you're actually stepping into the realm of generosity. Now, tithing is not generosity. That's obedience. If I was to lend you my car this week, and you took it off, and you spun it around, and you had a good time in it, and you brought it back, and you gave me the keys... Uh, and said, there's your car back, and then you went and told everyone how generous you'd been giving me my car back, I'd probably be a little bit annoyed. So say, that car belongs to me. You're giving me back what's mine. That's what tithing is. It's giving back what belongs to the Lord. It's setting aside, and it's one of those things that keeps us from the trap of materialism, that no, no, we're going to just set that aside for the Lord's work. That's the first thing we're going to do. And then anything beyond that is stepping into the realm of generosity. So we wanted to continue to tithe, but we also wanted to sow into some of the projects of our church. But at the same time, we wondered how on earth we were going to have enough money to survive. And at the time, we had next-door neighbours who I would describe as antichrist. Now, I don't use that term lightly. I only say it because they literally hated Jesus. They ridiculed church. They thought it was stupid that I'd gone into ministry. Uh, in fact, they, one of their kids, a teenage boy, had a room full of evil dolls. And so he had shelves all around his room and you would walk in there and there would be like Chucky from Child's Play and there'd be Freddy Krueger and there'd be, you know, Mike Myers from Halloween and right around his room, all his walls were adorned with these evil dolls. And so you would step in there and there'd be kind of like this presence and then you would look up and you'd see all these eyes looking at you and you'd kind of just back back quietly just in case you didn't want to wake the dolls up because they might bludgeon you to death. It was just a really scary kind of environment and their theme song as a family was ACDC's Highway to Hell. In fact, on their carport, they had ACD say, welcome to the highway to hell, as if to say, if you come up this carport, you're literally going to step into hell. And that's how antichrist they were. They had no regard for Jesus whatsoever. And they were our next-door neighbours. But over time, we actually became close friends with them. And despite their hatred of Jesus, they actually understood generosity better than many Christians that I know. They were constantly generous to our family during that season of life. He worked for a milk factory and twice a week he'd come and deliver milk to our front door. They would often go and get groceries for their family and they'd get a whole bunch of groceries for us. They would take us out for dinner and even though we said no, 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 they kept shouting us every time. One time the wife was over having a coffee with Kim. They virtually lived at our house at times. And one day our, our fridge was over in the corner making groaning noises. 
like in the final stages of life, you know. And the lady said, what's going on with the fridge? And Kim said, well, we're just waiting for it to die and we'll bury it in the backyard and we'll get another one. The next day, we get a knock on the front door and I open the door and it's the good guys and they've got a brand new fridge that our next door neighbour had gone and ordered that day. Later on, our washing machine broke. They bought us a new washing machine. Another day, they went to barbecues galore to get an outdoor setting and a barbecue for themselves. And they knock on our door with a brand new four-burner barbecue with one of the hoods on it. And they said, we've got one for you as well. They were incredibly generous people. And so here we are, stepping into ministry on a very low wage, wondering how on earth are we possibly going to live, perhaps even doubting that God could provide. And God says, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. You know those needs you're worried about? I've got an idea how we're going to meet them. You know the Antichrist next door? (laughs) We're going to use the Antichrist to fund the mission of Christ in and through your life. God is so incredibly faithful. And he meets our needs in ways that will blow our mind. Our family drive a Honda Odyssey, something that we always wanted. By the time we clicked over to four kids, we realised we needed a people mover. And we paid zero for our Honda Odyssey. Five years ago, a lady rang me. I used to pastor her daughters in a previous church. Didn't hardly even know her. Hadn't seen her for years. She got my number and she rang. And she said, Luke, last night I was praying and I felt clearly from the Lord that our Honda Odyssey is to go to you and your family. And I said, what did the Lord say about your house? (laughs) And I said, what about your daughters? Don't they want the car? And she said, we've spoken to the daughters and we all believe this is a word from the Lord. When can you pick it up? I said, well, I can pick it up tomorrow. And she said, well, we're overseas at the moment, but I've already told the house sitter to expect you. So go and pick it up and it's yours. A few years before that, we just started in ministry and we built a house previous to ministry. Dad and I had built a a family home. Um, We just had a mortgage and all that sort of stuff. We had very little money. And unfortunately, the white ants decided they liked our house more than us. And so they chewed out our entire living room floor. And we worked out it was going to cost about $4,000 to fix, just under. And so we started praying, Lord, I don't know how we're going to do this. We've got no money. I don't know how we're going to fix this. And before anybody else knew outside of my family and I, I had a phone call from a guy at church. And he said, Luke, I've just finished a big job. I'm an electrician. They're they're loaded, aren't they, Josh? Um, (laughs) Both Josh's. (laughs) All Josh's are sparkies. He said, we've just done a big job and we've made lots of money. And we're praying about what to do with a prophet. And the Lord laid your name on my heart. And he said, I've got an envelope for you this week. Uh, Come and grab me at church and I'll give you the envelope. So he saw me at church. He ran straight over. He said, this envelope's for you. It's a gift from the Lord. We just want to bless you. And so I picked up the envelope. It felt pretty thick. Nice. And so I went home. I I opened the envelope. I started counting it out. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Guess where it stopped? $4,000. The exact need that we had, God provided God has been so faithful to us over and over again. And there'll be many testimonies in this room of how he's been faithful to you. God is faithful. God is able. When we are generous, God provides for our needs. You see, God hasn't designed us to be a dam where the water comes in and it just stays there going stagnant. Everything dies and it smells bad and it's unhealthy. God's designed us to be a river of generosity. That as he pours blessing into our lives, it's to flow out into the lives of others. And as it flows out, he pours back in for it to flow out. Then he pours back in for it to flow out. That's how God's economy works. You see, you and I have been created in the image of a God who's abundantly generous. 
And when we've been created in his image, we are his representatives. We are his ambassadors here on earth. And so as we live lives of radical generosity, we actually reflect the character of God to the world around us so that they don't look at us and go, wow, but they lift their eyes to God and go, wow. If those people are generous and they serve a God who provides for their needs, that God must be incredibly generous. Which leads me to my final point, that our generosity brings glory to God. I love the attitudes of the churches at Macedonia. These churches in Macedonia are such a great example to us. Their generosity was not circumstantial. They were in the worst circumstances, severe trial, extreme poverty, and yet they responded with overflowing joy and rich generosity. As I read these last few verses, I want you to notice the words, you and the word God. Verse 11 of chapter 9. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to who? To God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. Generosity reveals the character and unleashes the glory of God in a unique way in our lives. And so I want to ask you the question as we finish up this message today. How generous are you? How generous are you with what God has so generously provided in your life? I don't know if you've, never know, if you've ever noticed before, but there's something very unattractive about people who are stingy. Have you got one of those friends that every time you go out for a coffee, it's always your shout? If they're here this morning, give them a nudge. <laughs> in all seriousness, there's some people, they're always taking, but they're never giving. They're always trying to get more, but they're never sharing. People like that aren't fun to be around. Churches full of people like that repel people because they misrepresent the character of God. But when you know people who are always giving, people who are looking out for others, encouraging, serving, giving their lives as a blessing to the world around them, being generous, people like that are magnetic. Churches full of people like that attract people because they magnify the character of a generous God who has given his very life for us. There's something compelling about people who are generous because they reflect the character of God. We are people who are compelled by the love of Christ to be generous with everything he's provided for us. As a church, as individuals, as we can live out generosity, not only will we become magnetic to our community, but we'll also give people a glimpse of God's glory. The Apostle Paul was challenging this church at Corinth to be generous. And I want to challenge you today in the same way, to be people who live lives of radical generosity in every area of your life. Generosity is a gift of God that will break you free from the prison of materialism. As you live lives of radical generosity, it will open up new opportunities in your life. Generosity is not dependent on how much we have. Generosity is not what we do. It's who we are. As we're generous, we can be assured that God will provide and meet our needs. And as people see our generosity, they will bring glory and honour to God. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. 
Lord God, we want to thank you so much that you are an abundantly generous God, that we can only possibly be generous because you have so graciously poured into our lives. Lord, we take it for granted every day of our lives. We live in Australia, one of the most blessed countries in the world. We have a roof over our head. We have food in our fridge. We have cars to drive. We have universities and schools to go to. You have provided so graciously in our lives. And Lord, today we just want to stop and say thank you so much that 100% of what we have has come from you. Lord, I pray that we'd never forget that. Lord, I pray that we'd not be tight-fisted with what you've given us, but we'd be open-handed. That as we are generous, Lord, Proverbs says, the gift opens the way for the giver. Lord, we want our generosity to open the way for further gospel impact in and through this community. That people would come to know you as that they see the generosity in your people and as it reflects your character to the world who needs to know you. We thank you for all this today. Lord, we know it's a challenging topic. We know that we'll gravitate towards wanting to keep everything for ourselves. But Lord, I pray, break us free from that. Help us to live for your glory, not for things that are temporary, but for things that are eternal. We pray this in the powerful and life-changing name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said...